0: There was a big tendency to look at data and data analytics. So, on. while this is important, I'm a huge fan of speaking directly to clients. If you just look at data, you see a lot of averages, how the average customer behaves. But speaking to clients, why did you become a client? What was your biggest pain point? Gives you a gut feel. And a lot of people have that, but you need courage to trust it and to really go through with it. Welcome to Speak Like a CEO, the leading
1: podcast on CEO and founder communications. And today I have a fantastic guest. His name is Eric. Pottsuvite. He's the co-founder and co-CEO of Scalable Capital, one of Europe's leading fintechs which specializes in digital wealth management, among other things. They have over 10 billion euros in assets under management. They've raised over 260 million euros, so a very successful fintech in Europe, based in London and based in Germany. Eric, hi, welcome to Speak Like a CEO. Hi Oliver, Yeah, um, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. Both of us come from northern Germany and uh, <laughs> love our sports and our water sports, so Hopefully we get a chance to chat more about that. But more importantly, fintechs, communications. So when you started out with Scalable Capital in 2014, a lot of fintechs emerged on the scene, right? Most of those are forgotten. You guys are unicorn. So why? What's the difference? What do you make differently or better?
0: better ceo's i guess no <laughs> for sure for sure that's what we're here no okay now that was a uh, 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 bit 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 of my my uh, the the quick cocky summary um, no i mean one is um it's a bit of the nature of the of the startup world yeah so in the beginning if there's a new trend on the horizon yeah so fintech that was a big thing obviously I mean the term was really branded I I would say around that time probably in 2012 13 14 15 yeah we really emerged. Mm-hmm. and so basically uh, in a nutshell what does it mean through technology, through technology, you want to make financial services better, cheaper, more accessible, um, tear down barriers and in, in, in all of the above. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, if you have such a big trend emerging, just like in any other industry, you have lots of players starting out. Everyone gets a little bit of money to at least start. And then some emerge, maybe because they have they find market fit faster. Maybe it's also, well quite likely, it's also um, that the teams are stronger. Sometimes it's also luck or just better timing. And then, um, yeah, one emerges faster than the other, and they get more money, and then you have a bit of a path dependency. And um, yeah, so it's a bit, what I'm trying to say is, it's a bit of the nature really with not just with fintech, with every industry. Yeah? If you looked at how many car manufacturers we had in Germany in, at a hundred years ago, uh, many, many, many more than today. And then for a long time, no one new emerged. And yes. now you have a couple new ones with the with the uh, with the rise of of electric mobility. But that's a different thing. But yeah. So long story short, I think it's just just natural. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I want to get to the bottom of what, what differences in communications, or at least what makes you
1: special and makes you successful in communications. But maybe first for some context, um, what does scalable
0: capital offer? So we basically have two um, services, yeah, two, two broad uh, ones. One is um, called online wealth management, or sometimes another term that's that's used is robo-advice. So what what is it? It's basically... We put together with the software, we put together ETF portfolios for our clients and we manage them for them. Yeah. So should I also quickly explain what an ETF is or are most listeners familiar with that? I think, I think listeners will be familiar with ETFs. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah if you basically a robot visor is, um, you don't want to select ETFs yourself. You want someone else to do it for you. Then, 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 then we do this and we manage them, rebalance them, and all of that. And then the other business that we offer, that was founded basically with, within our company three years ago, is a brokerage service. Yeah, brokerage. Most people are also familiar with. You can do all kinds of things. Yeah, you can buy ETFs yourself, stocks. Uh, bonds, uh, uh, funds, everything. Yeah, most people buy ETFs on our platform. Seventy um, percent of the money goes in ETFs, and um, brokerages exist for a long time. So, w- what do we do differently? One is the user experience is better, is cleaner, is more modern, is very focused on your mobile phone, not not just the desktop application. And the second is the prices cheaper. Yeah, it's, uh, in a nutshell, um, normal brokerage online brokers uh, will charge you ten to twenty euros per trade. And the new broker, so we are one of the big new brokers in Europe. Um, they will charge you around the euro. Yeah, so it's 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 ninety percent cheaper. Yeah? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's it in a nutshell.
1: And how much money do I need to have for me to for, for it to make sense to work with Scalable Capital? Is yeah. it for the rich only, or is it for everyone who wants to invest?
0: That's a cool thing. So it's completely barrier free. Yeah, the lowest amount you can invest on in our platform is one euro. Yeah, so basically you can start an ETF savings plan. ETF savings plan means we pull um, you set up an amount and we pull money from your current account automatically each month. And we select we invest it into the ETF or the stock that you selected. And we start at one euro. Yeah, we start at one euro. Yeah. And the, the ETF savings plans are for free. So you le- really just need one euro. Does one euro make sense? Nah, not really. You need a long, long time to uh, to really uh, uh, build up a little bit of of, of a portfolio there. Um, so, um, but uh, it's just to describe how low the entry point is. Yeah. So uh, most, but, but you can. I mean, young people. It even makes, makes sense with a 20 euro savings plan yeah if you if you're just starting out you've just finished school and later obviously you want to invest more money and save continuously into etfs but it's really uh, barriers are completely removed uh, removed yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's the great thing and it's easy to build momentum right
1: because yeah. you can create momentum a habit make it saving and investing a habit and uh basically you know over time you you you're hopefully in a position to invest more. Now, you didn't start out with that business model. Of course, it has evolved over time, completely normal. Um, so what I'd love to understand is, you know, you've know, you probably learned a lot um, communicating change over the last almost decade internally and externally, um, as business models evolve, as new products emerge, etc. So what have you learned in terms of change communication and taking people on a journey with you?
0: Yeah. So, what have I learned? Um, I have to say, yeah. Um, maybe as a little disclaimer, also, yeah. Um, because I've done communications workshops and we work with external PR agencies, but m- my finding is I disregarded most of the stuff that I learned. Yeah. And I try to listen to my gut. Yeah. It sounds quite vague. I'll be more precise in a second. Um, and um, so in the beginning, when I talked internally and especially when I talked externally to the press, uh, about our company, about our next plans, about funding, about positive or negative stuff, you know sometimes stuff gets uh, goes goes go, goes wrong. Um, um, one advice that I always got is Ah, you speak to openly. Ah, you speak to openly, you speak to you speak to directly and most of the the, the classic PR, um, strategy that's been taught is very is basically when I if I if my feeling was you they make you sound like a politician yeah <laughs> you, you get a question but you don't really get an answer and I always hated that I thought that I think that's the wrong way to communicate so I mainly went with my gut and I just talked yeah i talked uh, the, how yeah. i really think about it i never try to sugarcoat uh, i am i mean doesn't mean that you always have to be pessimistic i'm an optimist yeah but i never try to sugarcoat I'll, I'll i'll try to say uh, what i think and uh, to be very very straightforward and while sometimes um yeah sometimes you um i don't know you say stuff that in hindsight is ah maybe i shouldn't have said it maybe this can be taken out of context but the general positive thing that you take out of it is that really people get the feeling internally and externally that you don't you don't bullshit them yeah that you say how it is and that 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 gives you credibility and once you have that credibility i think um that makes a lot of things uh, a a lot of things easier totally and i will even double down on that
1: and say that um it's startups have and you're no longer a startup but startups and scale-ups younger companies that haven't IPO'd yet um they have usually the founders have great stories to tell And they can speak more openly, which balances the advantage maybe an older, you know, listed company has, which is a big communications department, lots of contacts with journalists, a big brand like Mercedes been around for 100 plus years, right? You're not there yet. So if you follow their lead and copy their way of communicating, no one will see you, no one will hear you. And as you said, people may think you're bullshitting them and this is all too polished and not that interesting. So before people can actually... sort of fall in love with the brand and fall in love with the model and all of that and and want to report on it, they have to actually um, be captured by something that's interesting, your story, your background, you know, the the things you say that other people don't dare to say. So
0: I'm totally with you on that. Yeah, and um, you're absolutely right. I mean, the thing is, especially once you become a public company, it changes because you also have legal risks, obviously. correct. I'm a private company now. Mm -hmm. So the worst that I can do if I talk too openly is, I give secrets away to my competition, to whatever. yeah, uh, maybe I say stuff that can be taken out of context and damages the brand, but it's not legal risk, yeah, mm-hmm. because we are a private company of private investors. Once you're a public company, you actually are. If you announce stuff that it's that that hasn't been disclosed yet, you're announced in the wrong forum that can have illegal repercussions. So and this is also why, in my view, it doesn't. It doesn't really make sense listening to uh, panel discussions or podcasts of public CEOs because it's you only get the PR text. They, they cannot legally right. say other other stuff. Yeah, and it's much more interesting actually listening to private companies or to crazy CEOs. Yeah, so yes. Elon Musk he just doesn't care. He he routinely gets into trouble with the SEC. He just says what he thinks. Yeah, but this is a this is a very very rare exception. Uh, uh, um, uh, yeah, maybe also. If you're past the 200 billion private wealth mark, you, maybe you get more relaxed, yeah. Yes, <laughs> <But> probably. <laughs> uh, I, I don't probably, know, but yeah. I would assume so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pr- probably, uh, pr- probably, pr- probably. That's uh, that's a reason as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, totally. And, and as someone who's given about a thousand interviews for a listed company I would say that even as a listed company you should try to be interesting I'm sorry you know yeah, that's true. And, that's and this true. is often because people internally don't trust the people and try to put all these safeguards and you listen to investor relations and legal rather than thinking about okay what makes us interesting what what tells the story and I think both CEOs and communicators are perfectly capable of assessing whether something could move the stock price or not right so yeah side note that's a that's a bad yeah. bear I've carried around for many years but anyway back to you more important so um, you already said uh, leading through change that's something that is obviously very high on the agenda and that you followed your gut and you want to be a bit more specific like followed your gut and the learning so is it because you as the founder and co-ceo you know what this company is and you know what it should become and that's that's what you what you say that's
0: the gut that's the gut feeling or is it something else um I mean that's that's part and also I mean gut get what is gut feeling how do you develop it is a it's a combination of I mean the most important component is uh, so I think about this company and the product and our customers all we, we, Really all the time. Yeah. Like every, almost every wake, every wake moment. Yeah. When I'm running, I'm thinking about the company and what to do next and how to respond to competition and what to do better in this and that scenario. So all the time. Then obviously you look at a lot of data, but you also, even more importantly, because the last years, There was a big tendency to look at data and data analytics and so on. While this is important, I'm a huge fan of um, speaking directly to clients and these little anecdotes. Yeah. Because data sometimes, yeah, if you just Mm -hmm. look at data, you see a lot of averages, how the average customer behaves. And so, but speaking to clients and get the anecdotes. Why did you become a client? What was your biggest pay point? If you recommend us to another customer, what would be the number one or two that that you find most astonishing and learning from these anecdotes and really all of that above ultimately gives you uh, uh, this experience so to speak gives gives you a gut feel and a lot of people have that but it's really you need courage to trust it and you need also courage to to yeah how do I describe it? To really go through with it, yeah. Let's say I have a good product idea, and then typically in big companies, yeah, we are now 500 people, so we have a certain size, but we are not, we don't have 10,000 or 50,000, yeah. But in big companies, the following happens: someone has a good product idea, and then he presents it to the engineering department or the product department. They water it down. Ah, it can't be done in exactly this fashion. We have to. We can do it this and that way then it gets presented to legal, then it gets presented to marketing, and always something is always being chipped away, and then ultimately you launch a product which is not really what you wanted. And you really have to have that tenacity, um, not just communication-wise, but also with the decision to say, no, no, I want it this way. we have to do it this way. There's no other way. I want to launch this phone, but it can't have an antenna. All, all, all uh, cell phones have antennas. No, I don't want an antenna. I don't want an antenna. Get it. Make it in a way that it doesn't have an antenna. Yeah, just to, to make one, one random example here. Yes. And, um, yeah, so that's, uh, uh, yeah.
1: To have that clear vision and push everyone internally to, to get to that vision. Yeah, that's the thing no one cares more about the company than the founders usually and for people like me who work with founders and CEOs is is to listen and not to prescribe or to to tell but to listen and only then to say okay I think I know how we can achieve this and and how you know what the journey is and what the steps are and just basically help build that bridge um I mean there have been critical times as well I mean the last 10 years haven't been Easy for a lot of companies, ups and downs, COVID, etc. So, how? What was the biggest challenge you faced from a communications perspective?
0: Um, the biggest challenge we faced, um, I mean, so one is we had particular instances where, obviously, I mean, it's easy always to the good stuff is is quite easy, yeah. You raise the big funding round, a and the last round, so the, the, yeah, that's a big hooray and the yeah. big high five moment. So that, yeah, that yeah, that's yeah. That, that's not the t- tough part. The, it's rather these um, the difficult situation. Yeah, we had a couple of those. I mean, so 2020, for example, we had a bad performance. And on top of that, at the end of the year, we had a data incident, for example. And then you're really not hiding and not uh, really going out. We actively contact, uh, contacted all the journalists that we knew and said, hey, this is what happened. Uh, and here's the explanation. And if you, if you need more information or want to... Uh, I want to write an article about it yeah we are ready our CEOs are ready to talk to you we internally went out and said okay this is what it means this is what what we'll do about it so um, yeah so um, I mean so one is the straightforwardness that I described and the other thing is um, a lot of times yeah I feel that Maybe I'll give you a little bit of background. So I started my career at an investment bank, Goldman Sachs. Yeah. And there you have lots of smart people and they come from all over the world, from very good universities. But they also tend to speak in a language, quite sophisticated language, because everyone thinks, ah, I want to look good in front of my colleagues. So people don't use, don't use easy language. Yeah. If you, um, and my view is, um, You have to break through this and really talk in very easy terms. That is, we, I try always to avoid acronyms wherever I can. Yeah. They make you sound smart, but a lot of people won't understand you internally and externally. Yeah. So it actually takes, it takes some courage, funnily enough, to speak in very, very, very easy terms. If you want, if you want an example of this, I have two examples. Yeah. Yes. Jamie Dimon. Uh, CEO of JP Morgan, one of the most successful CEOs in the banking world, Yeah, led the company through numerous crises. Listen to him. He doesn't talk in acronyms, he doesn't use fancy language. He explains stuff super easy, su- sometimes even naively easy. And another example, I just recently listened to a re- really cool audiobook, um, b- a very successful uh, entrepreneur, an investor, uh, r- um, also in real estate in America called uh, Sam Zell, the book is called Am I Being Too Subtle? Yeah, mm-hmm. a nice title. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he means it ironically because he's never subtle. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and he speaks in such an easy language and explains business contacts. Uh, he says, if you can't explain things in very easy terms, you haven't really understood them. Yeah, and, and, uh, but it, it takes some courage to speak. In, in easy language. It does. Because a lot of people think they have to make it more complicated to sound smart. Yeah. And everyone wants to sound smart. Everyone wants to sound
1: smart. And totally true. And if the objective is to impress your colleagues, then maybe that's the way. But usually, yeah. for someone building a business, that doesn't matter. It's about building the
0: business and moving it and forward. And you see you see that in so many regards. Sorry that I'm always jumping not in. Yeah, right. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm really getting psyched up about this. It's not just about... Uh, the one CEO wants to sound smart in front of other CEOs is also I don't know. You work with a marketing agency, and sometimes you have the feeling they don't want to create the best advertising spot for you and your clients. They want to create the best advertising spot to win a prizes in f- to look good in front of the other marketing agencies. Yeah, and so, <laughs> so true. These, it's it's and and this goes on and on and on through every industry, through every segment of of certain companies that. Um, yeah. And I'm a big fan of keeping it easy. And it's not just talking easy. It's also about, um, I have a saying that say, ask the dumb questions. Yeah. In some meetings, yeah, you sit there and then people ask complicated questions because again, they want to sound, they smart. Ask really, 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 really dumb questions. Yeah. Ask questions like, why would people do this? Yeah. It's, or, or why would like, it sounds a bit vague what I'm saying right now, but I, pe- I think people get it when they hear it. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. you're in these questions, ask the really dumb questions, because those are the questions at the core. Don't try to be too fancy. Yes. So what?
1: Why would anyone care? Right. Yeah. Yeah. These questions, yeah, exactly. we love these questions as well, because they're, they're great prompts to think deeper and question your own assumptions. Often, probably the question is most effective in, when I work with CEOs and, and leaders is, uh, um, <clears throat> what's the objective? Yeah. Often people talk, oh, I should do more LinkedIn, or you know, I want yeah. to speak at this conference, or yeah, shouldn't I speak at that? Yeah. So cool. Yeah. What's the objective? Yeah. Right. And then I can tell you if that's the right step to, to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I love what you. Yeah, I love what you say about the you know clarity beats complexity, and and, and the message machine, the book I wrote with um Jack Singh, we we you know, whole whole thing about this, and we. we drill deep really deep and you know what we figured out is that um you know the brain is an energy hog so two percent of the weight of our body is is the brain but it consumes over 20 percent of the energy and that's the issue it's not that people don't understand you if you speak in more complicated language they do they're not stupid but they don't want to yeah. they don't want to invest the energy so the brain will just go somewhere else the brain will not invest the energy necessary to understand you if you speak in complex language yeah that's a simple as that. We're not stupid, but our brain has better things to do conserving energy. Yeah, because no, ab- we Don't want to starve to death. That's no, evolution. You're not going to win against evolution. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you say about uh, crisis communications as well. So, um, you know, it's the, it's the three A's that we talk about a lot. So uh, acknowledge, apologize and act, right? So yeah. be, be out there be uh, acknowledge it happened. And this is where a lot of people already stumble. It's like, oh, you know, don't look here, look over there. <laughs> and you know this this obviously doesn't work so um i'd love to love to understand a bit more about your communication strategy so scalable capital if you walk through the streets you see outdoor advertising you see online advertising on your phone you see interviews with eric so you're very i wouldn't say omnipresent but you're very in a in a um, very consistent manner your brand is out there and it's in places where we see them so what, what's your communication strategy so
0: um I mean, it has m- m- multiple layers. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll pick one example. Yeah. So uh, when you say you walk through the streets and you see scalable. So one thing that we decided for, uh, it, it's a bit out of fashion. Yes. Especially for, for online, uh, uh, apps, so to speak. Um, we decided on deliberate strategy to do out of home advertisements. Yeah. And not really advertising the product directly. Yeah. Like, Hey, you can, Use our app to get whatever food or ETFs in 10 minutes delivered to your house or so. Yeah, that's very direct. But rather, we went in and we we have a strategy right now. We have very funny, witty, sometimes edgy slogans that we advertise. So one campaign, we also got a little bit of a calculated shitstorm, I would have to say, uh, where we said... um, um um what to do with grandmothers ashes yeah as you know ash in germany is another synonym for money mm-hmm. yeah so mm-hmm. and so it's a bit edgy yeah it's a bit thought provoking creates a stop moment and why why do we do this yeah so the strategy behind this is twofold yeah one is um you want to create a conversations around it yeah and this exactly what happens these conversations funnily enough even if you do out-of-home advertisements and big posters in the city these conversations they happen online because what what happens everyone has a camera people take a picture they post it online and then a conversation starts on linkedin on twitter somewhere yeah yeah so um so it has this overflow overflow and um and secondly also we also believe that we are in a world where you do not need uh, to 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 do all the the pro communication in this one advertisement because we are in a world where everyone has the portal to the internet in their pockets all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what you actually need to create is you need to get people to stop and to basically, in a nutshell, type your brand name into the browser because then ultimately they will land on our landing pages and we have. Not all the time in the world, but we have much more time to explain them what we do. Maybe there's a short video. Maybe there's some explainer test. It doesn't need to be in the advertisement. So the main point of the advertisements and these communications, this out of home communication is to trigger you, to trigger you to go to our, our website. Yeah. So, um. Yeah, I don't know whether I explained it. Probably our marketing uh, CMO uh, can explain it in a a, a better way. And also to know who you're addressing. So our target audience, we call them smart, busy professionals. These are people who are not rich, yeah, or not rich yet, but they have a good education and um, they are, yeah, they are usually in their mid-30s, yeah. So they're in, in in a very good working age, so to speak. And they want to invest their money, they know that it's important. You don't even have to explain to them, hey, you you need to do something for your private investments and ETFs are a smart thing. Their main hurdle is they're busy, lots of things going on in their lives and they know finance is important, but it's also a bit of a hurdle. And these pain points we want to address. yeah. And then basically get them to our websites, get them to download the app, and then we have a bit more time to to really talk them through the products. Uh, this yeah. is what our communication strategy is targeted at.
1: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. The online-offline, uh, you know, the, the 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 touch points that feed each other and, and reinforce each other.
0: Also, um, offline offline is sometimes a little, a little a little 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 less polluted, yeah, because the online yeah. world is so much. Yeah, you can hardly access any website without being being bombarded, but. Have a nice, clean. You drive with, the, with your car or your, with a bicycle, and usually when you're on your bike, you're not allowed to also use your phone. And you have a bit more time and awareness to look at the stuff around you. So, so it's 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 less polluted sometimes. Right. Yeah. Uh, you
1: wait at the traffic lights or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. So totally true. And it's um, it, it. I would assume it helps with building trust because for a business like yours, trust is everything. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we would—I would even say that we are in the highest trust category, probably, of of a lot of services. Yeah, I mean, buying an uh, uh, booking a holiday or buying shoes online—you you you try it out. If they don't arrive, you never buy again. But giving someone your money to invest—that's that's really high trust for me. I mean, a lot of people. Yeah don't trust their partners with their money, but they have to trust us. So it's a high hurdle to overcome. Yeah. Yeah. How
1: how specifically do you do that? Can you share any any insights you've gained? What works and what doesn't work to create trust?
0: Yeah. So um, it's, again, as always in life, a a couple of answers. So one is, um, I don't want to bore you with too many details, but one is from the beginning onwards, we always went the path where we said, let's do it the Uh, Quotation marks the the right way. Yeah. So one is, for example, we were fully regulated. Yeah. By the financial authorities from day one. Yeah. There, there are ways how to offer our service without being fully regulated or to go to a country basically in the European Union where it's easier to get a BaFin license and then passport this into Germany. Yeah. So we could have gone to Cyprus and work from there. uh, And you'll laugh, but a lot of services do that. Yeah. And we always said, no, we want, we want to basically make it in a very, um for us sometimes more difficult but in a very sincere and right and trustworthy way. And um, yeah the other is really that in finance a lot of things um, are not really obvious at first. The clients only find out later, maybe sometimes even a couple of years later. So you can, yeah, there's a big uh, information asymmetry, you can hide, so to speak, a lot of things under the rug, but ultimately they, they will come out and we always had the philosophy that we say, you know what, even though you could tweak it a little bit, make a little bit more money here and there without people really finding out, we want to live in a way where if someone, a product tester, a, a consumer protection organization, whoever, really looks at our product, really digs through all the contracts, that we come out clean uh, on the other side. Um, and this is a conscious decision that we made, that being aware that most people probably wouldn't see it, but but basically we want to do it in the way that if someone looked behind or beneath the couch, yeah, so to speak, they wouldn't find anything. yeah, Because that also, I mean that creates trust with clients but it also develops a different culture internally yeah if you start to trick a little bit here and there and cut some corners mm-hmm. people especially young people who started your company they see that and then they be, start to be you attract different people yeah and they also start to behave in a certain way and that basically creates bad apples and that creates a bad culture internally and this is how trust gets uh, deteriorated yeah? mm. so c- trust starts internally right it's it's ingrained in the in the culture Exactly, it starts with a decision. Where hey, there's this decision to you be made, and going going left would mean to make a little bit more money, but going right would mean to make a little bit less money but treat the clients better. Always, always go the always go the right one because in the long run, that 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 pays off. That, that, that pays off uh, uh, more nicely with with clients and, and the trust component
1: yeah I, I agree what's uh, you open yeah you can open the kimono and we sweep squeak, squeaky clean <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> perfect so what's next what's on the horizon for scalable capital I think you said in an interview um, last year that you could see yourself managing 100 billion
0: in assets and maybe yeah. there's an IPO on the horizon who knows so it's uh yeah I mean it's it's, it's what you just said yeah we want to continue to grow then uh, the next big next Next Napstone would be uh, uh, yeah, more of the same. A yeah? hundred billion sounds like a lot of money, and it would be, but we are in an industry where it's, it's, it would still be just a very small market share. Uh, the most near-term thing is an IPO. I would also the ideally I would like to do that, but it's not something for the near term. That's rather something for, I don't know, four, five, or six years or so. Um, the near-term is to be successful. We talked a lot about the brand and our perception. And I think we have a very strong brand now in Germany, among the these new investment platforms. I think we we, we are we we are starting, or we have already to a certain degree built a household name. Um, But we also want to be successful in Europe. Yeah, to be we wanna be wanna build a cross-European successful brand. Um and we only launched into Europe last year. And in most other markets, people don't know us yet. Yeah, I mean, they some people know us. If you really follow the tech and the fintech industry, then yes. But most people don't know us. So we have to build the trust in you. Cultures are a little bit different. Yeah, Even though we have one currency across Europe, it's still investor mentality is still a little bit different. So you have to adjust that. You have to learn that. The distribution channels are sometimes a little bit different. So that's... Um, the fragmentation of Europe, yeah, it's, 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 it makes it a bit tougher. But I think if you crack that, you can build a really, really, really cool company. But that's, that's really on our agenda every day. Yeah. And, and the US, is that on the cards at some point? Uh, no, I don't. I, I mean, I wouldn't rule out anything ca- categorically, but I think uh, not really. I mean, the US is a great market in terms of size. It's the biggest capital market in the world. It's twice as big as the European market. But it's a competition; is brutal. Margins yeah. are much smaller than in Europe. Um, um, you have big, 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 big players like like uh, like a Charles Schwab there. Um, so it's the short answer is, um, when we have enough work on our plate in Europe, if we want to go out of Europe, I think we would rather try our luck in Asia, yeah, you know, in certain centers in Asia, yeah, mm-hmm. um, than in the US, yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that's smart. I think it's so hard for
1: in your line yeah. of business to to enter that market, and the risk is you burn a lot of money. in the yeah, process.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In the and, U.S., you can't just go and say, "Oh, you know what?" I'll, no. I'll, no. I'll, oh, let's try this. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. that doesn't work. No, no. You, you, <laughs>
1: you need... have to be all in if you want to exactly. conquer that market. Um, I don't know if this question is going anywhere, but you were, you are a former German rugby champion, also skilled windsurfer. So, what have you learned from? those uh those physical endeavors yeah um, uh, and
0: what, what what have i learned yeah so the rugby thing um uh, yes true so i i have the official title of german rugby champion mm-hmm. however there's a little side story yeah and so the club that i played for 1880 frankfurt had um had i think when i played there 18 15 or 18 professional rugby players from most of them kiwis from mm-hmm. new zealand yeah and um and uh, I was one of the German amateurs. Yeah. So basically, I usually came on in the second half. Yeah. When <laughs> when we were when we are sometimes already up. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah. But officially, that's true. Yeah. I made it. I made it into the team, also in the first team. But um, but I was one of the amateurs uh, in the club. And the the really really strong uh, teams uh, people in the team were were the, the professionals. Yeah, they, uh, um, uh, Germany has, I mean, rugby is really a niche sport in Germany, but Germany has a couple of clubs which are semi-professional, like mm-hmm. Heidelberg and Frankfurt and so. Um, yeah, but it was a great time. So what did I learn there? I mean, rugby, even though from the outside, it looks like a quite a tough, sometimes even brutal sport. The camaraderie and the fairness is really like, like, uh, like I've never, ex- I also played football and did other mm-hmm. sports. Uh, like i've never uh, never seen it in any other sports mm-hmm. yeah so for example um you have these huge guys i was one of the smallest guys in the teams these huge guys <laughs> and Sometimes eric is not
1: small, small just for everyone
0: yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah but, but just, like if you've played like some of some of the guys on our team they they came from samoa or they were these from these maori culture mm-hmm. yeah they completely tattooed, huge guys huge guys but When the ref, for example, said something, the referee, they were always like, Yes, sir, yes, sir. You weren't even allowed to talk directly to the ref. Only the captain is allowed to talk to the ref. Mm -hmm. Yeah. After the game, for example, even though you you almost beat yourself up during the game, after the game, it's a tradition that the home team always invites the away team, yeah, The, the guest team, for drinks and for food. Yeah. So um this is uh, this is this is the camaraderie and the fairness that you have, and also no diving. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you see someone in your team pretending that he's hurt without really being hurt, your own teammates would get would would try to get you up and say, "Hey, this is not soccer." Yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So these 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 um, this camaraderie and this 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 fairness, I think this is really this is really unique to to uh, to, to 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 the rugby culture, and I can just. Uh, yeah, so in the English-speaking world, where, where rugby is more prominent, also being taught at school, they they teach it a lot of times as a character-building yeah, sport. Yeah. yeah. So And this is what I mainly took took away from it. Yeah, character-building. I love it. And it, it reminds me a lot, a lot of aspects about
1: handball, which I've played for a long time. Yes. And, and it's all very yes. physical, but also f- at the end, you, you shake hands and
0: have a beer together. And it's just that spirit, it, which which is lovely. The funny thing is that you say handball, because I, I also think it's very close to it. The tougher sport yeah. is handball can be very tough. Yeah. Uh, the tougher a sport is, the more fairness is among the players sometimes. Sure. yeah, there's a, There seems to be an adverse correlation. Yeah. Yes, I observed that as well. That's fascinating. Yeah. Wow.
1: So we have to hopefully continue over beer at some point. But uh, yes. for this for this episode of Speak Like I said, we want to wrap it up. And I always ask this um, at the end of each interview, which is, what is your final piece and uh, your best piece of communications advice?
0: My best piece of communications advice? Hmm okay I'll give you an answer maybe that's different from what you would have expected because we talked a lot about how to talk how to communicate and so my best communication advice is actually that ultimately I think what you do is more important than what you say yeah Um, and Mm -hmm. this is also what I try to live by yeah and um, yeah it's um, it's a bit of a general advice but I think people know what I mean when I say it because you can you can. I mean, we talked about a lot to build a trustworthy brand. But my father has a very old saying: if someone tells you he's honest, he usually wants to trick you. Yeah. And yes. So basically, <laughs> try to keep that a little bit more down and really try to act in a. It's it's a private life. Yeah. It's a it's a private life. relationship, but also in the business why uh, business uh, uh, world. Ultimately, it counts what you do, not what you say, and that will give your. That will give your words much more meaning, yeah, and your uh, um, and will give you much more trust than than um, yeah, yeah. I don't know posting posting fancy yeah. blog posts. It has to be totally consistent, right? If if the, if the speech
1: yeah. doesn't live up to the reality, it's not it's not going to work. So, Eric, yeah. love it. I really appreciated taking the time talking to Speak like today. So thank you so much. Eric Pottserreit, the co-founder and co-CEO of Scalable Capital. I'm sure we're going to hear a lot about him and Scalable Capital over the coming year. So thank you for taking the time and see you all next week.